What an awesome verse to reflect on. Um, we're going to read Exodus chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. Um, so if you want to open up your Bibles, it will be on the screen as well. It's Exodus 2. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she, she hid him for three months. But when she, could no, when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the, when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Like back in the day? How many people remember back in the day? Won't happen again, so don't worry about it. It's just for the day. Even before I start, I just saw a couple of babies in the room here today. So I know that Peter and Jess and baby Alexandra are here. Where are you guys? They're up the back, everybody. <laughs> Terrific. Next to them, I spy with my little eye, something beginning with P. Pull at your family. We've got Adam and Amy and, of course, baby Miles is up there. So everybody, fairy clap. Don't wake the babies. Don't wake the babies. But vigorous, vigorous. Don't wake the babies. And you think, okay, we're in a bit of a worm boom at the moment of the church. When's it all going to end? I'd say not soon. Not soon, because if you haven't caught up with the news, Catherine and Peter Bolt, sitting down the front with me, are also expecting a child. So congratulations. And there are others, of course, uh, out there as well. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we just have a quick look at this Exodus chapter 2 and the remarkable story of Moses' mother, we pray to God that you would, we would find something there for all of us, that we would find something for our souls today that would nourish us, um, nurture us, and Lord, inspire us uh, to be better people, and if we are parents, to be better parents. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we know the story. We know that Israel has been down in Egypt. The remnant of Israel has been down in Egypt for quite some time, hundreds of years, in fact. And they are crying out. They're under oppression. Uh, they're being enslaved. They're building capital works all over the place for the Egyptians. They're crying out to God. And after 100 years of uh, oppression, uh, Joseph and all that generation are long gone. There's this incredible oppression. They cry out to God. Uh, and he hears them. Um, the scripture says, during that long period, the king of Israel, Egypt, died. So the one that knew Joseph is gone. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help 
because of their slavery, went up to God and God heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked out uh, on the Israelites and he was concerned about them. And hence enters the story of Moses. We have this wonderful little um, view of uh, Moses' mother doing this incredible act uh, in order to save her son. So I just want to draw out about five things about Jochebed, five things that we, as our takeaways today. And uh, I'm going to make them pretty brief, so here we go. Uh, let's, yeah, there we go. Uh, is this not working? Okay. First point is that she did all she could to protect and provide for her son. She did all she could do to protect, uh, to protect and provide for her son. Uh, she was prepared to suffer lifelong anguish in order to save her son. The decision she made when he was a baby to do what she did meant that she would for a lifetime, she would for a lifetime live with the heartbreaking consequences, necessary actions, but heartbreaking consequences of what she had to do. So she did all she could to protect him, uh, to provide for him, Uh, She would rather give him up to Pharaoh's daughter than give him up for dead. So she had a choice. Was she going to give him up for dead? She hit him for the first three months of his life. She could either give him up for dead, have him tossed into the Nile like the other, as was Pharaoh's order to the midwives. But that wasn't what she was prepared to do. You know, she would never see him grow up. She would never see the milestones. She would never see him talk. Never see him learn the things, never see him grow through his adolescence, never see him grow through manhood, wouldn't be there for the milestone steps. She sacrificed all of that, all of what she would get out of being a mother, she gave up for the welfare of her son Moses. None of those milestones. So she did all she could to protect and provide for her son because this is what good parents do. This is what good parents do. All right, here we go. She did what she had to do, not what she wanted to do. She did what she had to do and not what she wanted to do. How many? We understand that, don't we, folks? Huh? Oh, yeah. We understand the implications of that. We have to do, we have to do what we should do. She had to do what she had to do, not what she wanted to do. What she wanted to do was the same thing as every mother would want to do. She would want to hold on to him. She would want to be there. She would want to nurture him along the journey of life. She would want to advise him. She would want to raise him. She would want to tell him all about the God of Israel. She would want to do the things that every single mother does. But she had to do what she had to do. That's what she wanted to do. She didn't get to do what she wanted to do. She was called to do and had to do what she had to do. And sometimes parenting is just like that. Sometimes you don't get what you want to do and sometimes you just got to give that up and you've got to do what you've got to do because it's the best thing for your child. Gut-wrenching. So there came that day, three months into Moses' life, there came that day when she selected a basket. Probably with some sort of a lid on it if you read the text carefully. There came a day where she managed to find some pitch Looks like tar, but it's naturally occurring. She had to find some. 
There came that day where she carefully applied the pitch to the basket again and again and again on the outside so that it would be utterly waterproof. She knew what she was doing. She knew the consequences of what this would do to her heart because she knew what she was going to do with that basket. Maybe she even tested it. We don't know. But there came a time where this basket covered with pitch, waterproof, probably a lid, I would suggest probably something inside it, some sort of a rug, some sort of a coat. She put Moses in whatever she put him in that day, took him down to the Nile. And when she set him in that reeds, she was prepared to say goodbye. She didn't know that she would be the one then to win her son and take him on for the first little tiny stage of his life. When she put him in the reeds, she was prepared to give him up because she, she did what she had to do, not what she wanted to do. And there he was afloat in the Nile. How would she have felt when she heard her three months unsold in this basket, in the reeds, on the Nile and crying? What would a mother's heart do in that situation? Her heart would have broken. She'd positioned Moses' sister, Miriam, who has a starring role in the Exodus in chapter 15, where Miriam's song of triumph, when they'd got through the Red Sea, still sung today in some churches, by the way. She was there. She was on lookout. Then his sister, verse 7, then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew, just one of the Hebrew women? I wonder who could think of. I'll just go and get a Hebrew woman to take care of the child. Oh, I think I've got somebody in mind. That's pretty risky. Walk up to princess of Egypt. Put it on her that what, what, I've got a plan here. A plan that obviously they must have known. Where, where they came down to bay, they must have thought this is, this is a calculated risk. She took the risk to speak up for her brother's sake, to confront the princess of Egypt and to ask for her favour. And then, of course, God is in this, isn't it? This is a God thing. And then Moses is brought home again to his mother. No guarantee that that would happen. That was a possible maybe, could be. She could have just taken the baby and walked off found an Egyptian uh, woman to nurse the baby. There was heartbreaking cry. She did what she had to do, not what she wanted to do, because that's what good parents do. Third point is she had to relinquish control. And every control freak in the room is now squirming. Everyone who wants to control their child right through to middle age, I'm about to speak to you. She had to relinquish control. You know what? She had to relinquish custody as well. She had to have no control. She wouldn't have custody over her child. This would become the door. He would become the child of the queen. Verse 9, let's have a look. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take the baby and nurse him for me and I'll pay you. 
There you go. That was a bonus they weren't expecting from the Lord, eh? So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, we don't know how much older, possibly, obviously after he was weaned, I would suggest. When the child grew older, this is heartbreak, gut-wrenching number two. She's already given him up once, put him in the reeds, hoped for the best, prayed, wait, watch. She took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. Moses became her son. She had to give it up. She had to relinquish control. How would he be treated? She didn't know. Would she be remembered? Don't know. Would he hold on to his Jewish roots or because from childhood he's now going to be brought up in the palace? Would he understand who Yahweh God is? She knew he would be well off, but would he be better off? Huh? She knew he would be well off, but would he be better off? Let's never confuse those two things. You can be well off, but not better off. How many people understand that principle? You can be well off and better off. Better be in a poor home that is holy and happy and knows the joy of the Lord than a rich home with all its trappings who knows nothing of the Lord and nothing of laughter and nothing of love. How many people understand that? He knew, she knew she was going to be better off, but would he be, would he actually be better off? He'd be well off. So there came a time where, for the second time, she had to break her heart for the second time. Little Moses would be taken up, and this time it's going to be for good because she would now take over the control of Moses. But what else could she do? She had to do what she had to do. She had to do not what she wanted to do, but what she had to do. There comes a time, friends, if you're a parent, where you have to relinquish control, even if it's just to them. And I believe that age should be about 40. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking I've got a 36-year-old and I want to control her on a leash. I've got a 33-year-old and I want to put two leashes on him. I'm not going to mention anything about Eliza because she's here too regularly, but may God bless her and may the leash be long. <laughs> Am I alone here? You know, and, and, you know, in our Western society, we, 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 we don't get to really choose our children's spouses. How many people think that's a dumb idea? Come on. <laughs> I'm going dumb idea. I'm going, I want to, be able, I want to choose that. <laughs> <laughs> we lose control there's a transition as we take children up as we, as we raise them as we invest in them as they go through their teenage years there's this painful thing as you see them starting to go out there and, and, and struggle with their autonomy and try these various things out and you just know this is going to be a disaster and you look at it and what does it end up to be? But how, well, this is how we learn. How many of us has learned? From, how many people here learn from their mistakes more than their successes? Come on, this is what we do. Our children need to learn from their mistakes. We love to remind them of their mistakes. <laughs> I told you so. Come on, who quotes that proverb of "I told you so"? It's not a proverb. Don't put your hand up. It's bad. All right. 
comes a time where we need to relinquish control, even if it's to, the, even if it's to their own autonomy. Heard of a book, don't, haven't read it yet, but Stephen Bidolf's a great, um, a great thinker and a great writer, and he has written a book called Raising Girls in the 21st Century. So there's a bit of a heads up. I haven't looked at it, uh, but his name alone is enough to have a thumb of that next time you're in a bookshop. Releasing children into their own autonomy to let go and to let God have his way in their life is pretty scary. Well, she had to relinquish control of Moses. She accepted the fact, no matter how hard it was, because that's what good parents do. The fourth of five features. She did all she could do for her son, given her circumstances. See, sometimes circumstances are just tough. Sometimes circumstances are just complicated. Sometimes circumstances are not ideal. Sometimes we've just got to do what we can for our children, given our current circumstances. Parenting can be very, very difficult with very difficult and complicated circumstances. Sometimes there are real and genuine immovable constraints There are limitations of all kinds. We have to do what we can do given our circumstances. And that applies for grandparents as too. Grandparents sometimes would like to also have more time and more influence in the life of grandchildren. Not always possible. Parents the same. Not always possible. We just have to do the best we can do given our circumstances. But we certainly have to do what we we have to do all that we can do, particularly in those early formative years. Every psychologist worth their salt says that the first six or seven years of a child's life are absolutely fundamentally, foundationally important. That's why we emphasize children's ministry in this church. Yes? We're going to continue to emphasize it, going to continue to make it an important thing, because we've got precious babies sitting against that back wall first day in church today. We've got an investment in this, in this. They're part of our church. They're not the future church. They're part of the church today. They're part of the family of God in this place. We need to make sure that these foundational years are important years and we need to partner. The job's not done down there. The job is done here. And this is just one small part of it. That parenting with the church is a partnership And parents take the vast responsibility for the raising of their children in the love and nurture and knowledge of the Lord. Aristotle, the Greek philosopher who lived in 384 to 321 BC, said, Give me a child until they are seven and I will show you the man. In the same way the scripture says in Proverbs 22.6, Train up a child in the way that he should go. When he is old, he will not depart for it. He or she, I would think, is a better way of reading that. Perhaps Jochebed and her husband didn't have that long. And he had a little time maybe with Moses. How old was he when he was carted off to the palace? I don't know. Somehow her faith in God and the God of Israel was transmitted to her three children. Because Moses and his brother and the sister, who I've already given you a name, sister, Miriam, all three of them feature incredibly in the exodus and the redemption of God's people and the leading of out into that. Somehow, faith gets into these three children and they become the leaders of Israel. She did all she could for her son, given her circumstances, because this is what good parents do. And lastly, 
She did not know the plan God had for her son. She didn't know the God, the plan. She, she didn't know that he was going to be the redeemer of Israel. She didn't know that he was going to go past a burning bush. She didn't know he was, she was, going, to, he was going to be down in Midian, marry a woman called Zipporah, the priest of Midian's daughter. She didn't know that he would uh, be called on by God to do these incredible things. She didn't know that her three children would be star performers in the Exodus, that Aaron and Moses would be side-by-side brothers through thick or thin until they got them out. She didn't know that Miriam would be leading the tambourine band on the other side of the, of the, uh, of the river there when they got across, across the sea. But you see, God had a plan for Moses. She didn't know the plan, but she had to give her child up and say, God, your will and your plan for my child is best. That's a hard prayer to pray. That's a hard prayer to pray. Yet God knew what he was doing. Hello? (laughs) Fancy that. God knew what he was doing. Where was God in this situation? What's going on? God needed someone who could know how to lead a nation, 600,000 people, That's just the men, able-bodied men. When you include the others, have a look at Exodus 12, 37. Have a read of that, 35 to 37. Have a read of that. There were 600,000 able-bodied men, plus women, plus children. There was probably 2.4 million people that were led out of of Egypt. Basically, a nation of people. How could a person learn to lead a nation? They would learn to lead a nation if they grew up in the palace of King Pharaoh. This is the plan of God, that he would raise up somebody who knew how to lead a nation because he would go up in the home of the leader of a nation. So Moses, he's there, he's absorbing, he's learning, he's observing in Pharaoh's household how to lead the people of God, how to lead a whole nation. God needed someone to lead the nation, so he needed to go to training school. There's no better, better university of leading of a nation than in the Pharaoh's court. And that's where Moses was. That's the plan of God. God needed someone who would shepherd his people, not be harsh like Pharaoh. So what did he do with Moses? At the age of 40, Moses went into the Midian wilderness, 400 kilometres 400 kilometers southeast of Egypt, almost 350 kilometres directly south of Jerusalem, way down into this wilderness area where he married Zipporah and he became a shepherd. For 40 years, he learned how to shepherd in the wilderness. What did God need? He needed somebody who could take 2.4 million people, get them on it, and shepherd them in the wilderness, not beat them and flog them and build great things into their own glory like King Pharaoh did. That's how he treated people. He needed someone with a shepherd's heart. And Moses was the person with the shepherd's heart. That was the plan of God. 40 years apprenticeship. Then he was 80 years when he got his call. If you're under 80, wait for it, it's coming. God's got good things to do in you, yeah. Don't go, I'm too old for it, forget it. Everyone who prays that in the Bible ends up doing a whole lot more than they'd ever bargained for. So just go, I'm here, Lord, just say it quietly. He may not hear you. God needed someone to lead a nation. God needed somebody with a shepherd's heart to look after Yahweh's flock. He needed someone who knew how to confront the most powerful man in the ancient Near East. No better person who would know how to go about that process than somebody who would grow up actually in the house of Pharaoh. So at 80 years of age, Moses called to free Israel. There's no mention of Jochebed after his call. 
We can assume she died of old age. If he's 80, she's probably ancient of days. We can assume she died of old age, never made it out of Egypt. She never saw the fruits of the early years. She didn't know the role, probably never got to see the role of Miriam, Aaron and Moses. But she'd invested. She'd invested. Godly parents know this. They know that they will sow, they will continue to sow, and they will still sow into the lives of their children throughout their lives, even if they're 40 plus, they will sow and they will sow and they sow, and they may never see the fruit of that, but they will just commit their children to God and say, even if I'm dead, Lord, continue to do a work in my children's life. Hallelujah. That's what we do. We sow and we sow and we sow and we may never see the fruit. And we may die never seeing the fruit. She may have closed her eyes and saying, I don't know where Moses is. I heard he's down in some forsaken corner of the wilderness somewhere looking after sheep. Wow. But we sow and we pray. And as a church, we sow and we pray. And as grandparents, we sow and we pray. And as spiritual older people into these lives of beautiful young children we sow and we pray and we commit them to God we may never know the plan of God we may never see the fruit and so she did all she could do to protect and provide for her son that's what good parents do she did what she had to do not what she wanted to do because that's what good parents do she had to relinquish control she did all she could do for her son given her circumstances she did not know the God, the plan of God for her son, but she had to trust God to do and to work it out. So this is what good parents do. Let us promise to be good parents if we are. Let's promise to be good influences of young lives if we're not. Let us pray to be good parents. Let us pray for all parents. Let us sing this great song of praise.